In this episode, we meet with Melissa Rapp, the Dean of Admissions at Goizueta Business School. She shares with us some fun things, like why she loves to bake pie and go sailing, but also more material things, like why an MBA might be the perfect place to be this coming year. This episode was filmed on April 24th, 2020, in the midst of the COVID quarantines and lockdowns. And her insights are both presently perfect, but also timeless. Melissa, we're so excited to have you. Melissa is the Dean of Admissions at Goizueta Business School, and we just want to start with a little bit of an intro. Can you give us a bit of background on who you are, what you're up to, and how you got to where you are today? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My name is Melissa Rapp, and I am the Associate Dean of Admissions here at the Goizueta Business School. I've been here almost a year. I started my job here at Goizueta a year ago. And prior to that, I was the director of admissions at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. And so I have seen um, a lot of cycles of MBA admissions. I've worked both in full-time admissions and also in working professional programs. So I can um, address questions about kind of the trade-offs between earning while you're learning, which is how I kind of like to think of it, and going through a full-time experience. Um, And before that, I spent a few years um, kind of with job ADD. I don't know if any of you have gone through this in your life, but I went through a point in time where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and so I tried a few different hats on, Um, but originally was in college admissions after undergrad at the University of Kansas I spent a year traveling for my sorority as a consultant and then went straight into undergrad admissions at a real small school. So I live and breathe admissions. And um, my dad likes to say it's because I never really wanted to leave college. But hey, who does? I love being on a university campus. Um, I have two kids and a puppy here at the house, which has been a lot of fun during these stay at home days to get to try and teach him some manners. Um, And I love to be outside and my family and I enjoy sailing together. All right, great. So the first question is just about recruiting trends. So in light of COVID, has anything changed regarding what Goizueta looks for in applicants? For example, are you looking for prioritizing uh, recruiting more experienced applicants versus uh, folks from different profiles than you would have been a couple of months ago? I wouldn't say that what we are looking for really has changed at all. Um, You know, when we are evaluating an application, there's a couple different aspects that we're looking for. One is the ability to handle the rigor of the classroom. And another is how someone will contribute to our community. And those two things really are kind of the cornerstones of the evaluation process. In terms of how COVID has impacted the applications, it's not really that we're looking for anything different. It's more that we're trying to open up our process. You know, one of the missions of our school is to help educate and um, promote leaders who are well grounded in the values of Roberta Goizueto and who understand how business can impact society. And having those values as an important part of the Goizueta community means that where we would normally not be necessarily accepting applications right now, we've extended our deadlines, recognizing that people's lives have been impacted in a way that there's a lot of uncertainty right now and people might be going through a disruption in their 
career that was very unexpected. They might be feeling called to do something new right now. And our job, our mission is to educate those people and to meet them where they are, which is why we offer a portfolio of programs and why we've tried to, I think, reduce the barriers for someone to apply. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How are you reducing the barriers for people to apply? And what does that look like? Especially if somebody's kind of all of a sudden looking at this in yeah, the moment right now. Of course. So the first thing I would say for someone who finds themselves in the position of all of the sudden looking is to don't hesitate to reach out to the admissions offices of Goizueta, especially. Of course, I can speak for my team, but I think any school really at this point is open to having some conversations about your situation and helping you to navigate the process. Um, you know, we have extended our deadline for our two-year MBA program through July 1st. So that, that gives people the time to, um, you know, it's pretty hard to just sit down and hammer through an MBA application. It does take a little bit of time. And we wanted to give people the time they needed to answer the essay questions thoughtfully to get letters of recommendation. So we extended that deadline. We've waived the application fees for the remainder of this um, application cycle. So people don't have to worry about that. And we recognized that there were some issues in terms of scheduling a standardized test and that those were moving to um, at home or remote delivery platforms but there's some bugs to work out. Some people don't have the right technology. And so we're encouraging people who have, don't have a test score yet to go ahead and submit their application and we'll consider them for a test score waiver. That's all for our full-time programs. For our working professional programs, we typically um, have a requirement for someone to be employed full-time during the start and for the duration of the program. And we're relaxing that um, requirement, knowing that people are facing some layoffs and furloughs that have been unexpected, but up until this point, really had strong um, professional backgrounds. So we've relaxed that as well. So I, I think between extending the deadline, canceling the application fee, um, waiving some test requirements, and relaxing those, we're really trying to reduce the barriers that people typically face. Now, uh, when we were in our conversation with Keith Bevins, who's a partner at Bain, uh, earlier this week, one of the things that he said was that school's the best place to be right now. Uh, but one of the questions I know that's on a lot of people's minds relates to the recruiting trends that are coming out of business school, how employer relations are being impacted by what's happening with COVID. Can you speak to that a little bit? What are you seeing in terms of employers honoring internships or pulling back on internships, um, and how is that affecting the experience of students and what you would recommend people think about going forward? Sure. So we've had a lot of conversations with our colleagues over in our career management center, and, you know, not unexpectedly, this varies a bit from um, industry to industry. So some of our travel industry internships have been reduced. You know, Delta is certainly going, it's a big company here in the Atlanta area, um, they're going through a very difficult time. And so we've seen um, one or two of those internships be pulled back. But we're seeing internships in other industries almost escalate because there is more of a need. Um, you know, remote 
platforms like Zoom are looking for more and more interns. Um, and so it really varies from person to person, which has been really great to see. And this is another um, one of the hallmarks of Goizueta is we are small by design. And what that translates to is really great connections with our alumni. And so we have seen our alumni, when we started seeing some of our students struggle to find um, either their internship offer was maybe rescinded or they just hadn't quite landed one yet, um, we've had many alumni raise their hand and say, hey, you know what, my firm, we can take somebody. Hey, I have this project, maybe not a full summer's worth of internship, but it's a great project that you can really sink your teeth in that will give you some experience in the area that you're looking to. So um, one of the great stories I heard from our career management center just the other day was that we had a group of students who had their consulting internships in hand um, and they basically came to the career management center and said, hey, listen, we know some of our classmates are struggling right now. What can we do to help? And they didn't have any reason to take this kind of altruistic step other than a love for their classmates and feeling like they had a skill set that they could use. And so they get on the phone with our corporate partners and with our um, alumni that they personally knew and tried to help gain some momentum. So I'm actually not worried about any of our students landing somewhere um, because of the combination of the commitment of our career management center, our alumni and their own peer group. That's amazing. Well, and you mentioned that some of these consulting groups have adhered to their internships. Um, I know that while I was at Bain, I worked in the Atlanta office. And so I worked with a number of really impressive uh, Goizueta alums. Uh, but what are you seeing specifically in the consulting space? For example, why should somebody come to Goizueta if they're interested in consulting? Why should you do an MBA in general if you're interested in consulting? And uh, where those two might not be the same, what are the differences? Yeah. Well, I think that um, in terms of what is unique about consulting at Goizueta, I think part of it is just these deep connections that we have with both the large and small firms in terms of um, securing great placements for our students. And again, that connection and the small school spirit that we have really creates this kind of circular wonderfulness of when Goizueta alums hear about Goizueta students looking at their company, they get really excited um, because there's not as big of a pool of us. And so there's really a sense that within the consulting firms, Goizueta is looking out for Goizueta and looking to hire Goizueta. Um, our career management center has a, a strong history of success um, and our students have a real commitment to helping each other in getting into the consulting roles that they're looking for. And so, um, you know, the consulting club here at the school does a lot of um, peer modeling and, and interviewing with each other. They really work together to make sure everyone is as strong as they possibly can be going into the interviews with consulting firms. Um, and we have, you know, we always have had, and, and in the conversations I've had with our career center, we don't anticipate 
the need for consultants to go away. If anything, it feels like there might actually be more demand in the consulting industry as companies are looking for ways to find cost-saving measures. We believe that they are going to be turning to consulting firms to help manage certain aspects of business in a more cost-effective way. So I think it's a great time to be thinking about consulting. And I think it's a great time to be at Goizueta specifically for that because of our strong commitment to helping students be prepared and because of our history of being able to place students in the consulting roles that they're looking for. Well, this is a two-parter. So you came from a veritable consulting powerhouse in Kellogg. And I would argue that Coisueta actually has, although like you mentioned in a smaller scope, a very similar track record with a lot of the same firms, same percentages of the class that are going into consulting. But if somebody is thinking about consulting um, and then Second part, if somebody is not thinking about consulting, if you can separate the two of those out, uh, how would their experience at Guizueta maybe be different? Well, Guizueta is really distinctive in that we're, we are small by design, which really means we emphasize that people coming here have a right fit with the school. Um, and the academic rigor piece is a, is a, is a piece that I, I feel like you can find at any of the top business schools. Everybody is going to have an academic program that is rigorous and is going to arm you with the knowledge you need to um, succeed. What sets Goizueta apart is, is because of that small size, there's really nowhere to hide. Um, we expect all of our students to show up and to impact our community and really kind of push on that, using your leadership skills, building your leadership skills, reinforcing those leadership skills, um, partly because we don't have enough people for you to just sit on the, on the bench. We need players who are really going to um, engage. And so that's part of, I think, a difference that you find at Goizueta. The other is going back again to that engaged network. Um, you know, having people often think that a small size is going to be a handicap when in fact, I really think what it does is gives you this opportunity and you can read research about how big can a network, how big can one person's network really be and be effective. Um, and I feel like we have found kind of that magical size of everybody knowing everybody and everybody appreciating each other. And then as they become alumni, really feeling that connection for many, many years. Um, the last thing that I'll, last point that I'll share is really about how leadership and social impact are embedded in every part of our program. It's our mission to prepare principled leaders that have a positive impact on business and society. And I, I think that most people on this call will understand what I mean when I say business has a tremendous, tremendous um, capability of impacting society. And the leaders of business play an incredibly important role in what our society looks like and how people behave through their leadership. And Goizueta is a place where you can really develop those leadership skills 
that will allow you to actually influence society on a big level. That's really important to me. It was important to me at Kellogg and it's important to me here. And one of the reasons I left Kellogg was because it came through so clearly in all of my interactions with students and with faculty and with staff, their commitment to this values-driven mission. So that's, that's why I hope people choose Goizueta because they want to make a difference. Not because they want to just check a box and get an MBA, not because they want to just make more money, but because they understand, especially, and I, you know, I think this, this period of time right now, this disruptive period of time has really made a lot of us reflective. And I certainly have been thinking a lot about what will the world look like in two or four years? And it looks a lot better when I think about the people who are leading as principled leaders and who are committed to really making the world a better place. And that's why I'm proud to be at Goizueta and that's why I'm really passionate about the experience of our students. Amazing. Okay, so in light of all of this, if you were advising somebody uh, who is thinking about school, maybe to, you know, that, that's wondering about this year, but probably thinking longer term and wants a little bit more runway to think about investing in themselves, building experience that they're looking for. Um, so, you know, because I know that everybody that's that's here today may or may not be immediately interested in going. Uh, when do you know that the right time, that it is the right time to go to school? Um, and and how, how do you figure that out? Or what do you test in order to figure that out if you're not quite sure? Well, I think there's a couple of things that people can think about. Um, one is if it's the, I, I think a lot of people get to a point after they've gone through their undergraduate program, they get a job and you kind of get to this point where you think, I don't know as much as I feel like I maybe ought to know. Um, you start to be pulled into conversations because of your position in an organization and are exposed to some things that you don't fully understand. And you start to realize that, you know, you were passionate about a certain area or function. So let's pick marketing. You studied marketing in undergrad. You love marketing. You know all about marketing. But suddenly you're in meetings where they're talking about finances and you don't know what they're talking about. And this happens to everyone. So the finance guys have it, but maybe it's about operations and the operations people have it, but maybe it's about supply chain. There's just the higher you go in an organization, the broader your knowledge needs to be and the more important your ability to influence people becomes. And influence is just another word for leading. So I think everybody starts to feel this tension of if I want to continue on in my career or if I want to pivot into some other career that now I realize I might like better than the one I'm in, I need something. I need something. And a lot of times that something is an MBA. And it, it is an MBA because an MBA is general. It gives you that broad base of knowledge that allows you to have a seat at almost any table and understand the conversations. And it's an MBA because it's versatile. And you can be one thing immediately after your MBA 
and then pivot to become an entrepreneur or pivot to become a nonprofit person or continue to accelerate in an industry you love. Um, so I think that's not a direct answer because there's no perfect formula. It really varies from person to person. Um, and I think the other great thing is to use the, the people you have access to. Um, my team does one-on-one -on -one consultations that you can sign up for very easily online. They're happy to talk to you about where you are in your career right now and where you want to be. And if this is the right time, other schools do that as well. Um, if you have a mentorship relationship or a supervisor who's done an MBA, it's really great to get some other opinions. You don't, you don't have to go through it all by yourself. We'll help you. Good. Well, one final question. When we think about the job world right now, you talked about creating leaders, building leaders that, that make an impact in uh, jobs. So if somebody gets an MBA, doesn't get an MBA, uh, or, or just in general is interested in making an impact, what is some advice that you have, one piece of advice that you have uh, for people to become the kind of employee or leader that will make a difference in society? Um, so one of the things that someone said to me many years ago that has really stuck with me is start now. Leadership has so little to do with title or position in an organization. No matter who you are or what you do, you can be a leader. Um, have more conversations sideways, upways, downways. Educate yourself as much as possible, but start right now. It's it's. It is just, it's more about how you behave and how you think than your position. You know, in a, in a disruptive period, sometimes it's hard to think about making a change, but honestly, it, it does, it can give you an opportunity to really kind of push off some other things too. If you apply now and start a two-year MBA program, that's two years to kind of see how things develop. And maybe you've always dreamed, I mentioned Delta earlier, maybe you've always dreamed of working in the travel industry. Right now is probably not the greatest time to pursue that. And who knows if in two years, it'll be a good time either. But if you're in an MBA program, you're giving yourself the opportunity to explore and to build a network that includes people from across a wide variety of industries and functions. And so you kind of have a chance to um, explore areas that we don't even know are going to be booming in two years yet, but you'll be in a good position to take advantage of them once we see how things kind of shake out. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. What we'll do now is move into a time of Q&A. Who has questions that you want to ask about grad school, MBA, and more broadly, some of the other options that you might be thinking about right now? I have a question. Great. Awesome. I'm, I'm applying to an MBA program and uh, kind of daunting. My question is the essay portion of um, the application process. And that we're told to tell our story um, so much. And what is a, 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 a great way to actually kind of get started with telling your story? So I'm, I'm not an expert. Let me answer it first, then Melissa can correct me uh, because that's, you know, I, I, I applied to business school, went to business school. Um, so I have that data point. And then we, we have kind of 
storytelling processes, I think that I honed at, at Bain and our team honed at, you know, the, the top firms that we can talk a little bit about that relate to interviewing and, and storytelling. And then Melissa can talk about probably the even wider view of things that she sees as the, um, as the director of admissions. But um, one of our, our big recommendations is making things super vivid. So we have a storytelling structure called CAR, which is, uh, which is starting with the context of a situation and providing as much data as you can. Because if, you, if you're general, it's really hard for somebody to evoke a feeling of being there in your story. So instead of saying really generally, like something happened or this was going on, be, be as specific as you can. How many people were there? How long was it happening? What were the, what were the situations that were going on? And then the second thing really highlights specific actions that you took. And um, our, our general model is like a we, I, we model. So in the context, you talk about the we, everybody else that was there with you, but in the actions, you really own it. You talk about the I, um, because it's, we're not interviewing or applying or evaluating six MBA candidates for evaluating one, right? So, right. Um, so really trying to own your personal story. And then at the end, um, really highlighting what the results were and ideally, I think, I think Melissa, you, you'll have to correct me if you're wrong about this, but I think people do want to hear stories with happy endings usually. Um, stories that like when you made an action, there was a transformative sure. change. Not and, and I do think that that though um, sometimes uh, folks get frozen about feeling like that transformation has to be so visible and so dramatic, like you have to have saved the company in order for it to be a worthy story. And and really like I think that you see um you see leadership emerge in lots of different environments. So don't put too much pressure on the size of the transformation. Just try to tie up the story by hey. explaining it. So I'll, I'll lay that out. And then now, Melissa, you tell me that I'm wrong in all those ways. <laughs> no, you're not wrong at all. Um, we do love to, to hear the stories that have specifics. Um, and I, I think I would carefully read the essay question and make sure you're answering the question for the school. The school is asking, we don't ask, things that we aren't looking for. And we go through quite a process to identify what characteristics we look for in candidates and match and kind of go through an exercise of matching where in the application do we find those things. And so the essays or questions are typically written in a very specific way so that we can learn something about you that maybe we can't other places in the application. So make sure you're answering the question we're asking. And I think just to emphasize what Jenny Ray was saying is that it really matters, the so what matters a lot because a lot of people can tell a story about, I ran this project or I helped lead this initiative. And it's like, okay, well, we all do our jobs, right? What did you learn? How did you grow? What happened next? That's where the really best of applicants come through is when they're able to pull that thread through and tie that onto, and this is why I want to get my MBA. And this is why I want to do this after I get my MBA. So finding that, that thread that goes all the way through can really set your application apart. All right, Raquel, you were brave. Who's next? So I saw one in the chat about um, how old, is too old for a traditional MBA. And All right. I think it's a great question. And there are probably going to be different philosophies about this at different schools. And it really isn't your age so much as your goals. And there is, for on-campus recruitment, 
there is a very kind of narrow group of jobs that people come to recruit for. So it's a certain level of job. And what we worry about with people who have a lot of experience or who've already reached a certain point in their career, which generally correlates with age, um, is that you're not going to be happy with the post-MBA job levels that are most frequently recruited for. Does that mean that everybody, not everybody takes those jobs, not everybody's interested in those jobs? Um, and so you kind of have to make the case or reassure the admissions office that you aren't going to be, we don't want you to be unhappy with your experience. And the experience includes the academics, includes the community and social aspects of the program, and it includes the career services. So if you can um, kind of reassure us that you understand that you are non-traditional and that your recruitment is not going to look traditional and you're okay with that, it's much more likely that we'll consider your application as one that we can bring into our community. I hope that made sense. Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up to that? Mm. Yeah. Can you talk about, could, could you, do you have any case examples or an example of somebody in your community that is older that either has similar goals or has different goals and just like, what did they do afterwards? Yeah. What, you know, what are, what are kind of the pathways that they do take? Yeah. So there, there are some, there are some certain populations that do tend to come into the experience a little on the older side. Our military veterans are often on the older side because they spend their, you know, younger years in the military and they have a great career and, you know, they're still considered a non-traditional um, candidate because they, they are a little bit older and their experience, they, they typically bring a lot of great leadership experience, not necessarily a lot of business background. And so they're kind of one of the groups that I would say they do really well, but they do also come in very disciplined um, and ready to do whatever they need to do to be successful in recruiting. Um, trying to think of another example. We also sometimes get um, people who have played professional sports is another kind of group of people who come to us at a very different moment in time. And again, they often don't have the same kind of background as traditional MBA students, but they, they are able to make the case for why they want to get this experience and what they'll do afterwards for it. Yeah. And um, I, I can all speak to it. I actually went and got my MBA a little bit when I was a little bit older and I'd already retired once. <laughs> and so I was, uh, I, I was definitely on the older side, but my goals were super different. I was interested in setting up a family office. Um, and so I wanted to understand how people that either worked for their family's family's offices or worked for other family's family's offices or thought about investing for a specific reason really uh, worked through their process. You know, how did they think about buying companies rather than running them? Or how did they think about doing other things that I was not thinking about at another stage of my career? And I chose Columbia for that reason, because there were a lot of, like, we had a big real estate specific community and a, a very kind of focus area on the family office. But uh, I actually think that there also can be right business schools at right times for different seasons in people's lives. Uh, for me, I probably could have gone to six 
the different business schools that would have all been great fits for me at different seasons in my career. So, um, and, and honestly, like, I'll tell you, there are not a lot of things that I've regretted doing in life and an MBA is included on that list. I loved it. It was a really fantastic experience. And I think there are very few people who walk away from an MBA program being like, well, that wasn't transformative. <laughs> it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. So just as a data point in case, uh, in case people are wondering, um, you know, everybody asks me like, what's the ROI and what's your intention? And I do think that's meant to figure out, you know, are you going to be happy when you're there? But some of that's also in your control. For me, it was. So I also want to just take a minute to kind of give um, a shout out to our the working professional program. So these are your evening or weekend MBAs, your executive MBAs. It's a great way to earn an MBA degree and continue in a path that, you know, for a company that you love um, or you just are one of those people who really doesn't want to give up the salary that you're making during the time that you're in school. Um, they're the, it's the similar classes, faculty are often the same. Um, it's, it is still a networking rich environment and you still are getting career services. So don't discount those. Um, when you get your diploma, it says Goizueta MBA. It doesn't tell anyone what format or delivery model you chose. We offer a portfolio of formats so that we can meet your needs. So don't, you know, that's another place where people who maybe feel like, gosh, I've waited longer than my peers in my company age-wise, and I don't really want to give up my job, and I got these kids at home, and all the things, um, all the things. So, you know, a work, an evening MBA is probably the great fit for you, and it's going to be a great experience too. So um, don't overlook those other programs. I love that. Can you just talk about any facts and figures about your working professional targeted programs so that folks would, if they don't know, could you just give us a, a little rundown? Like how many people are they? How long does it take to complete the degree? That kind of good stuff. Yeah, actually Kathleen is, my colleague from Griswetta, Kathleen is also on the line and she's probably better at rattling those stats off. Kathleen, do you mind taking that one? Kathleen, you did your hair for a reason. So yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming, um, <laughs> partly because I actually graduated from our evening program. So I have my, my bias shows in that sense that I am, I, I really am proud of our evening MBA program and the way the school, Coisbada specifically, makes sure that our working professional students get that full, rich experience and that collegial, collaborative cohort structure. Um, our evening MBA program is typically 80 to 90 students and very similar um, Profile in a lot of ways to our one-year full-time program. So people who have a variety of backgrounds typically average about five or six years of work experience. Um, and that program is it's fully in-person on campus, not right now, but normally. Um, and so it's uh, designed for weeknight evenings if you're based in the Atlanta area, but could be working remotely um, or new to the area. Um, but that's a great way to kind of balance work and school at the same time. Then our executive program is designed for people typically with eight plus years of work experience, eight to 10 or more. We average around 12 or 14 years of work experience there. Um, we have two formats of our executive. One is 100% in person. It's our on-campus format. And then um, a hybrid format, which is about 51% in person, 49% remote. And they're on a synchronous schedule. So three times a, sem a semester 
the entire group is together in person. And then the other meetings, um, the on-campus format is every other weekend and the hybrid format is remote. So um, that's typically 40 to 60 students. So we have some some leeway there based on technology and space available. So, but both great programs, both cohort structures. And I think what surprises people when they start the program is A, how hard it is that it is a highly rigored program, but also how much fun they do have that that sense of being back in school and, and getting to know your classmates and learning from them as well as the, the faculty, all the things you're looking for in an MBA experience just on a working professional schedule. Kathleen, can you talk about why you went back, why you, why you got your MBA and why you picked that program? Mm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually um, come from an education career background. I didn't have the career ADD that um, Melissa did, but I did have the admissions love and focus. I kind of got straight into admissions from after my undergraduate degree and loved what I was doing, but was ready to expand my exposure or broaden my exposure and learn um, best practices from other disciplines. I didn't want to pursue a higher education administration degree because I felt like I was doing that. I was ready to study and learn, but um, decide, I had a little bit of family influence that my my parents are Guizueta graduates and they've always been um, really encouraging my sister and I to go into business and neither of us did. <laughs> so I thought this was kind of, I made their day by saying, I'm thinking about an MBA guys. And they said, Oh, um, it was very exciting for them. But um, but also I was raised with, um, you know, education is you get one chance at it, give it your best shot. And so I knew I wanted to keep working. And then I found this evening program at Grace Weta and um, just fell in love with it. The idea that I could have a, a, a classroom of, of peers, um, but from a variety of different perspectives. So my first year core team was, um, a finance guy, a marketing woman, um, a two engineers, and then the liberal arts girl who ended up doing all the editing and writing for the papers, but it was fantastic. So, and we're still all good friends and keep in touch. So. Amazing. Okay. Well, we've had a couple of questions come in. Uh, Kathleen, actually the first one might be for you. Do your um, EMBA students get access to the same recruiting and career resources as your regular MBA students? Can they attend the same meetings? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, so are are they kind of uh, separated out from the rest of the class? Yeah. The way Melissa was talking about our um, on-campus recruiting and whether it's a right fit for you and your career and your goals. That's the same way it works for our evening and executive students is that we have um, a fully fledged career management center that includes um, coaches specifically for the evening and executive students. And they do have access to the formal on-campus recruiting process if it's the right fit for them. So it's a much smaller number of those students who are seeking those kinds of positions. Um, So we have a parallel process called Advanced Career Transitions which is using the same resources, the same structure and accountability of the on-campus recruiting process, but with a network-based job search as the goal. Um, So the answer is yes, um, you have access to the same resources and also individual coaching to help you find the right fit for the right process, the right path to your target. Amazing. Somebody else also asked a question. This could be for either one of y'all. And I'll also say it too. Um, when is too young to be thinking about an MBA? Um, and then uh, like, what are some of the best ways to distinguish between different programs and maybe a more personal way, like less of the marketing way. So you guys might be able to speak to both of those. And again, I'll say something and then you can weigh in. Um, I, I think that what we've seen is that, um, 
interestingly, I heard a presentation by an exec when I was at Columbia. He said that he felt like uh, people should go um, early and he didn't mind seeing like 24 year olds that were graduating that had basically no experience, provided they had really strong internship experience and good clarity about what they wanted to do and had developed some analytical ability. So for him, the life experience wasn't the most critical thing. That was a kind of contrarian point of view. Usually most people would say for an MBA, you know, two to five ex years of experience and actually having something to refer to and talk about in the classroom is probably more, uh, more beneficial. But I, I would say that that is, that does come down to a kind of personal decision. Um, it does seem like the data shows that your candidacy improves if you have a little bit more um, experience. So, so that's um, something to think about. And then the second question was just about finding out about the diff like different ways to understand what happens. I, I know for me, one of the things that I did was just set up conversations with current students. That was probably my most enlightening um, part of the experience. Uh, but yeah, maybe you guys can weigh in a little bit on on that, and if somebody was shopping programs, right? How do they think about finding the fit for them authentically? Yes, yeah, so in terms of what's too early to start thinking, I don't think it's ever too early to start thinking. Now applying, um, I do think that you become a more competitive um, candidate once you have a couple years of work experience and how many years of work experience is gonna depend a little bit on the type of work you're doing, um, the industry that you're in and things like that. And again, it, it's going to vary from person to person. And so you kind of owning your own experience and looking for inputs from the admissions offices that you can work with or from your mentors or other people who've done it is going to be really important. Um, and, and don't overthink it. If you're real early, if you're still an undergrad or you are about to graduate, don't overthink it and try and plan a career around what you think we're looking for. Um, you could very well end up in something that you don't find that interesting. You don't um, get excited about and you're not likely to do as well there. So there isn't a magic formula. We really want you to do something that you're passionate about, um, that you feel really great about. So don't, don't try to engineer your way into an MBA program. You be you and apply and it'll all work out as it should. Um, in terms of how to understand different schools, you know, every school has a really robust, rich web presence right now. So start with looking at some of the websites, um, but then really push yourself once you've narrowed down, um, you know, there's some big criteria you can start to think about where would you like to study? What kind of setting do you like to study in? Do you want to be in an urban environment? or more of a college town, um, those kinds of things. But then at some point you do need to kind of switch gears into getting to know the schools you're thinking about. And that takes the form of doing class visits. And even though we are not having in-person classes right now, we are offering class visits. So you would get to use Zoom to see what a class experience is like right now in this moment in time. Um, taking advantage of talking with students. I think LinkedIn is an incredible tool for candidates to use, to use the advanced search feature to find people in the industry you're interested in, who went to the schools that you're interested in, and reach out to them. You'll learn a lot by A, who responds and how quickly, and B, they'll be able to share their story. Um, the academics is certainly one piece of it that you wanna consider. 
Um, later on down the road, there'll be a financial aspect that you should also consider, but there's a fit aspect that you really need to consider. Um, so those are kind of the three dimensions that you're going to want to think about. I, let me ask another question. This came through the chat, but in a different order related to the online nature of classes right now. And obviously nobody quite knows what the future will hold, but, but what are you preparing for? What are some of the possibilities for what that will look like uh, for folks that entered this year? And then, uh, you know, how is technology used in a normal uh, quote, right? Normal um, situation. So what, well, yeah, then, what does that look like at, at Equizueta in particular? Yeah, that also varies um, from program to program and even from class to class. We did have some programs, um, our hybrid model in our executive program has done online delivery for some time. Um, but then our in our full-time program, it's very much been focused on face-to-face -face interaction. So what has been great is to see how quickly the Goizueta faculty have been able to pivot and deliver a really content-rich experience for our students. And I definitely think that there are aspects of this time that we will carry forward. Um, it kind of accelerated our learning on how to do this and the benefits of doing this. And so I, I do anticipate that technology will become more of a go-to tool that will be used by faculty and, and in lots of different ways. Um, in terms of what the immediate future looks like, um, Emory and I think most schools that I'm aware of have said that summer classes will be delivered in this remote fashion. Um, and then fall is definitely something that schools are doing scenario planning. I was on a town hall Zoom call for Emory just before this and um, have been getting communications from colleagues at other schools regularly. And everybody is just, you know, we know and feel the pain of ambiguity and not knowing what the fall will look like. But we also want to use any time that we have and not make a hasty decision. And so, you know, it makes it difficult, but I, you know, we've heard just speaking in general terms about what I've heard from Emory and other schools, delaying the start, um, moving to a hybrid model, having some classes, you know, on campus and, and some classes deliver in other ways, continuing to do remote delivery. Um, you know, it just, there's so many factors to consider that it's, I feel like everything's kind of still on the table um, and people are really trying to do what's best for the health of the organizations and for all of the stakeholders. Amazing. Okay, and then a final question that came in. We'll wrap up after this. Okay. Uh, this is a two-parter, not necessarily related, but from the same person. So, Kanal, we see you. Um, first of all, can a student at Goizueta specialize in more than one concentration, and how material is that? Is a concentration specialization? Um, second of all, international students and hiring. Ah, um, you know, right now, post-COVID, COVID, et cetera. Um, yeah, can you just speak to that? Yeah, so um, in terms of the concentrations, we do have concentrations. We try to advise people not to worry about them too much. Um, what typically happens is you go through the core coursework um, and then you move into electives and people choose electives based on 
the coursework that they think will help um, with their career goals and also things that they find interesting. And, and we find that just that simple methodology usually lands people with one or more concentrations without even trying. And so, yes, you can get a concentration if that's important to you, um, but we don't really encourage students to wor worry about it too much. Um, in terms of job prospects for international students, um, you know, things have for a few years now been getting steadily more competitive for our international candidates to find jobs here in the States. Um, what we find is our international students are really well prepared to return to their home countries and secure jobs there. And we can help with that process a bit. Um, but in terms of finding jobs here and finding companies that are willing to sponsor and, and to take on the gamble of if a student will or will not be chosen in the lottery for a green card and all of these things that are outside of their control, that has gotten harder and harder. And I, you know, I, I wish I had a way of making it a lot easier for international students because they are a valued part of our, um, our community and they bring a lot of good perspective and diversity into our classes and we want them here. Um, but the, the career reality is it can be challenging for them. And, you know, I think understanding the landscape and working realistically and being open to what industries maybe you should consider because they are more international friendly versus, you know, I've always wanted this industry and I'll only take this industry. I think the most successful international students that we see are the ones who come in with the very open mindset and are willing to be flexible about their outcomes. Well, what I'm going to do now is ask you six, what we call them strategy snippets. So six little quick questions about your background so we can get to know you. The first one is I'd love to know the biggest risk that you've taken that's paid off. You know, honestly, I think um, taking this job at Goizueta is got to be right at the top of my list. Um, we talk a lot in MBA admissions about pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and that real growth happens when you start to get uncomfortable. Um, I was born and raised in the Chicago area. I spent a brief time away from it when I went to college and then returned to the Chicago area. So I've lived there most of my life. Um, Kellogg is a great school and I love my team there and I love my colleagues there, but knew that for me personally, there was a limit on what I could do professionally. And so um, when the opportunity came to move to Goizueta, um, it, it really did feel like a big risk. It was moving my family, taking on a new role with expanded scope. Um, but boy, has it paid off. I have loved um, my whole year, even with the craziness that we're experiencing now. Um, I've met such great people. And, you know, being in a new part of the country has has made me and my family members grow as well. So I think it really did pay off. And so I feel more comfortable um, continuing to give that advice to push out of your comfort zone and to try something big now that I've done it myself. Well, speaking of being in a new place, what's your favorite place to eat in Atlanta? So we um, landed in, a, in an area out just outside of Atlanta called Decatur, um, and there's a little restaurant here locally on called 246, and they specialize in 
homemade um, pastas and pizza, and they just have a great, cool vibe and a wonderful cocktail menu. So that's usually where we end up um, hanging out. They also have outdoor um, like ping pong and things. And having come from Chicago, the um, outdoor eating scene has definitely been a value add and like a lifestyle upgrade that we try to take advantage of most of the time. Love that. Okay. Well, we we're already almost linking over to this, but what is your outdoor happy place? Definitely anywhere on the water. Um, I mentioned you can see behind me, I have a big old sailboat. Um, my family and I have uh, actually, my husband and I bought a sailboat before we got married together. So that was kind of a an a example of true commitment. That Biggest risk, except for Goy's Weather, that also paid off. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so on the water sailing, um, you know, there's something real magical about the moment when you have your sails hoisted and you turn off the motor and you are under sail and it is peaceful and it is quiet and there's no technology touching you that um, it just really centers me um, and brings a lot of peace. So that's definitely my outdoor happy space. I love that. Okay, another one, a leader who's inspired you. Um, I I got this list of questions. So I've, I've been preparing for a few of them. And this is one of those that I feel like I've been so lucky to get to work for a lot of really great leaders and especially women leaders. Um, Sally Blount at Kellogg, Erica James here at Goizueta. Um, and I think a lot about leadership because it's part of what we sell in an MBA experience. Um, and I think a lot about people who are kind of unsung leaders that I just find inspirational. And one of those is a woman named Junko Taibe, and she was the first female to summit Mount Everest. And she did it in 1975. And she grew up in a time in Japan where that was just not something women did. And I think a lot about her and the challenges she had to overcome just to get to do the climb. And the fact that she did the climb is super inspirational. But remembering all of the daily things that got in her way and the kind of societal things that she had to overcome, I think about that when I'm trying to, you know, find my way through a situation that I think is overwhelming or difficult, that many went before me. Um, and those are the people I try to look to for inspiration. Love that. Okay, next one. A career that you could have pursued but didn't. Um, so a career I could have pursued but didn't. Um, I love baking and I especially love pie baking and I love talking to people. And so I always thought that my perfect job, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, would be to own an old-fashioned diner with mostly counter service where people would still come in the afternoon to have a piece of pie and a cup of coffee to kind of brighten up their day. And that I could, you know, just talk to everybody. I was a waitress for a while and I actually really loved it. Um, just cause I like hearing people's stories. Well, I didn't know that you were going to say that, but it tees very well up for the final question, which is your favorite type of pie and why. So I had no idea that you were such a pie aficionado, but yes. Uh, well, and that, that kind of made me laugh too. Um, 
And it's almost like picking a favorite child. I love all, I, I love pies indiscriminately. Um, peach pie has been, you know, I've been working on those now living here in Georgia. Um, but I'm, I'm also a fan of kind of an overlooked category of savory pies. So the chicken pot pies of the world, um, they have a special place in my heart too. Amazing. Well, let's dive into some of the conversations about the program and about grad school in general. And we're looking for general advice that would make people uh, or uh, enable somebody to decide whether Goizueto is really the right fit for them and grad school in general, the right fit for them. Well, on that note, we'll say thank you so much, Kathleen, Melissa. We've so appreciated having you here. We really appreciate your perspective. Yeah, it's been super fun. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you'll subscribe and review this podcast, as well as listen to some of our other podcasts. We love talking about strategy and simplifying the process of diving into different industries, and we're looking forward to working with you. If you've got questions, visit our website, managementconsulted.com, or email us, team at managementconsulted.com.